the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney, and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. So, as I shared with you in the past, I hold a couple of master's degrees as well as my JD. That is to say, I'm a master of the laws of taxation law, and I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual property laws. And both of these great master's degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law that's located in the beautiful city of San Francisco. Now, because of my training and my experiences and my lifelong interests in business and money and finance and wealth creation and wealth transfer, and the roles that these particular aspects of the social science of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, but I also do debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. And as I've shared with you before, I'm proud to say that as part of my practice, I sometimes have the opportunity to at least seek out and attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who face financial elder abuse uh, to monumental proportions these days. So I'm coming to you again today from my continued voluntary lockdown from my makeshift studios in my home and another great world-class city, that is to say, the beautiful city of Oakland, California. Again, today from my continued voluntary lockdown from my makeshift studios in another great world-class city, that is to say, the beautiful city of Oakland, California, to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you search out more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances, and hopefully to provide you with at least a general outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help. That is to say, especially qualified professional help if you're dealing with issues concerning your finances and your assets. Now, I do this because, as I'm known for saying, I think that representing yourself in a legal matter, especially one dealing with your finances and your assets, is just like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. And, you know, a butter knife, if you put a butter knife and a gun side by side, 
guess which one is heavier? Let's just look at it that way. So I, I'm, I'm saying this not because I'm into violence or anything. It's just that you're going to be outgunned if you're, you show up with your knowledge of your facts and other people know your facts and they also know the law. And that's why I say it's taking a butter knife to a gunfight is a losing proposition for the butter knife. And you'll likely see your righteous claims and your valid defenses go off into the promised land way before you do. So again, sharing with you the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law uh, related to your money. And in these trying times, more likely than not, the lack thereof, and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect your and or your families and or your businesses and your employees, health, wealth, and money-related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening form. So I was not able to do a live show and be with you last week uh, because I had to prepare for a trial that took place earlier this week. But as we all know, this past Thursday, March the 11th, 2021, was the one-year anniversary of the World Health Organization's declaration of the COVID-19 outbreak and making a determination that it's a pandemic. That's the bad news. But there's been some good news on uh, the COVID-19 front. That same day, our current president, Joe Biden, signed into law the American Rescue Plan, and that's a $1.9 trillion relief package that includes the $1,400 stimulus check for Americans making less than $75,000 a year uh, or families or couples, that is to say, who uh, make $150,000 or less. So that's a large group of people that will have access to these funds. And it also marks the continuation of the supplemental $300 per month unemployment benefit that is making a big difference to folks to be able to put food on the table and keep a roof over their head. That's $1,200 a month. And sometimes people need that in addition to their regular unemployment to make the difference. And it also increases child care tax credits. And it has $350 billion for state and local aid. And I know that's controversial to some, but that money can be used to keep firefighters and police people on the payroll and most importantly, help open up schools. And we all want our children to go to school, but only if the school is safe. And there's also $19 billion in emergency rental assistance to help people keep a roof over their head. And there's a supplement to that PPP, the pay roll, <laughs> Paycheck Protection uh, Plan that was started last year to help small businesses by helping underwrite some of their employee and rental-related expenses. So there's also been some good news on the bankruptcy front for small business owners. On both sides of the landlord-tenant relationship, as well as both sides of the supplier of goods and services front. This because there's a new section added to the bankruptcy code that was signed into law and became effective last year, but it has a really short window that it's expand, <laughs> that is going to go away today. So that's why I, I wanted to talk about this last week, but I, I have to tell you what I can. It's the Consolidated uh, Appropriations Act of 2021, and it was signed into law by our former president on December 22nd, 2020, and it reduces the risk 
for companies who want to work with small businesses that have been negatively impacted by COVID-19, but the business that's solvent wants to say help one of its fellow businesses that's insolvent or on the brink of being insolvent and a possibility of having to file for bankruptcy, if that business will supply goods to the business that's in trouble, that is to say the solvent business, and or if the solvent business is a landlord who wants to continue a relationship with a tenant who might be in, in, in trouble, the problem is prior to this act, say that business would have gone into uh, insolvency and into bankruptcy, there's something in the bankruptcy parlance known as a preference, and it's a clawback. So if a business makes uh, uh, goods and services available to another business and that business within 90 days of filing for bankruptcy repays that debt, the business that was repaid can is looked upon as getting a preference and there is a clawback provision in the bankruptcy code that allows the business or more likely a chapter seven trustee to claw back that payment. So what am I talking about? Selwyn knows that Selwyn's sister business is on the brink of financial collapse. Selwyn loves Selwyn's sister's business. So she wants to help her out. So she'll, you know, supply her with goods and services because nobody else will give her credit, but someone will give her credit. And then that um, um, uh, goods or services, someone's sister is able to sell and make profit and she pays Selwyn back. But something else happens to Selwyn's sister. Isn't somebody else didn't uh, extend her credit. So Selwyn's sister goes into bankruptcy. If Selwyn's sister paid Selwyn back within that 90 day look back window, the Chapter 7 trustee can come after Selwyn and sue her to get that money back. Now, Selwyn will become a class uh, 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 unsecured creditor in Selwyn's sister's bankruptcy. But as you may or may not know, even businesses that restructure in bankruptcy don't pay in full all their creditors for the most part. So Selwyn, being a good guy, is going to end up on the short end of a stick. But this new provision in the bankruptcy code allows for Selwyn and Selwyn's sister to negotiate a forbearance agreement where if Selwyn will help her sister stay afloat and Selwyn's sister ultimately goes into bankruptcy, there won't be that clawback provision. But the problem is you have to have that forbearance agreement signed by today. Today, this show is broadcast by March the 13th. So I would suggest anybody within the sound of my voice, you get that done today, or at least you get a letter of intent done today so that you can take advantage of this provision before it goes away. Okay, again, it's a forbearance agreement that the parties enter into by March the 13th. Okie dokie. Okey smokey. Okay, so um, also um, I, I wanted to share with you how gratified I was to get so many comments from you uh, about the show I did the week before last that was aired last week about the idea of uh, Black History Month being a forward-looking uh, a vehicle to help empower 
uh, women and minority-owned businesses. And I heard from some people from all over the country, some people I've never heard of heard from before, uh, some uh, politicians and others. And so uh, I, when we, in, in a future show, we're, I'm going to follow up with some ideas, okay? So uh, we're going to take a, a short pause, and when we come back, I'm going to continue our discussion on the good, the bad, and the hopeful as we face the one-year anniversary of the designation of uh, COVID-19 by the World Health Organization. Stay tuned. See you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of today's topic, and that is to say the good, the bad, and the hopeful news as we face our one-year anniversary of the new reality or this brave new world we find ourselves in as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, before we took the break, I shared with you a couple of good things that our government is doing to help small businesses make it through this pandemic. But there's also some possible problems uh, that we need to focus on and uh, concerning COVID and making sure that uh, we have access to uh, getting our insurance policies uh, taken care of. And what I'm going to share with you, it comes from a great article I found in one of my online legal journals called Mondak. It was written by Jesse B. Snyder and Jack Schwartz of the firm Davis and Gilbert. And it was published on February 22nd, 2021. And it goes... As companies continue to grapple with COVID-19, with the pandemic, uh, and its impact on their businesses and the consequential losses of income suffered as a result of the interruption and or shutdown of their operations, policyholders should be aware of a number of key factors that could affect their ability to bring a lawsuit against their insurer. Now, this is someone talking, you know, um, I've been talking about that, the fact that if you have a business interruption insurance policy, you're likely going to be get a declination letter if you file a claim or you might go to your carrier directly or you might go to your broker directly. And he or she will say, oh, no way, they're not going to. They're not going to deal with that. They're not going to pay out on that. And so some of you have been discouraged and not file a claim. Well, that's a mistake. You need to file the claim and go through the process. But if you don't file the claim, you might be finding yourself shut out. As more and more courts are finding that the exclusion for viruses and fungi might not necessarily be enough of a basis for your insurer to deny your claim and you might want to sue your insurer for denying the claim but if you don't file the claim you have no basis for a lawsuit and that's what this this article is talking about and why I want to share it with you now um, um, the authors go on to say and again uh, the authors are Jesse B. Snyder and Jack Swartz of the firm Davis and Swartz and they published this article in Mondak on February 22nd. They go on to say an important stipulation within first party policy. So first party policies are property 
policies, business interruption policies, and they give another example, uh, event cancel cancellation. But I'm going to tell you, a first party policy is one between the insurer, the insurance company, and the insured. For example, I have errors and emissions insurance. That's um, insurance for uh, legal malpractice. That's a first party policy because... I would be the one that would be filing a claim against my own insurance company. The other kinds of, of policies are third-party policies. That's where, say, my automobile insurance policy, if I hit somebody or they hit me, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a dance between entities that are not co- uh, connected. In a first-party policy, In addition to being my insurance company, my insurance company is also a fiduciary of me. And just like me being a lawyer, I'm a fiduciary of my my clients. I have to put their interests before mine. An insurance company in a first-party relationship has to be a fiduciary of their insureds and not do something known, a, a, a technical term, bad faith, but it's the equivalent of being a fiduciary. So I'm I'm taking time to explain that to you because you need to know. So those of you with business interruption policies, um, uh, that's why I shared with you in one of our our shows before that in addition to um, all the other claims and stuff, there's also a possibility of a bad faith claim if your insurance company does not uh, pay out and their reasons for not paying out doesn't make sense. So Again, back to the article, an important stipulation within first party policies to be you have to be cognizant of suit limitations clause. Now, first party insurance policies typically contain a clause entitled legal actions against us or suits against us. And again, it's the insurance company writing the policy. So the us in this is your insurance company that, okay, that against us, that outlines the time restrictions imposed by the policy in permitting suits to be bought to contest coverage issues. Such provisions may, and they do vary by policy but may be restrictive in limiting suits to be bought within one year of the inception of loss. And so, again, today's topic is the good, the bad, and the hopeful concerning the anniversary of the designation of the whole world being part of a pandemic. So if that was March the 13th and there's a one-year limit, a 12-month limit, you need to know about it. Now, I'm using March 13th as the uh, inflection point because it might just be that your first loss occurred in April or in May. But you need to be looking at your insurance policy today to make sure that it does not have this one-year limitation. And if it does... You need to throw your claim over the transom, you know, Monday, (laughs) probably 
to make sure that you don't let the statute of limitations go by. So I'm, 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 I'm giving you that kind of like uh, hair on fly, fire kind of uh, 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 notice uh, because you don't want it to be that you're one day late and a dollar short. Okay. So going, getting back into the article uh, with, and these authors say with March nearly upon us, because again, they wrote this article the last week of February with March nearly upon us, the one-year anniversary of the unconstrained spreading of the COVID-19 virus is approaching. It's here already. This may trigger the policy limitation restricting a policyholder's ability to bring suit to challenge an insurance covery, coverage position. That your insurance company's position is going to be is <laughs> not covered. Now, most policies are not terribly restrictive and are quite flexible and afford a two to three year time frame from the inception uh, of the loss to bringing the suit. Nevertheless, each policy form may vary and must be reviewed to determine the actual terms and time frames afforded by a particular policy. Now, being one day late can result in a total forfeiture of coverage. I'll say that again. Being one day late can result in a total forfeiture of coverage. Now, many policyholders submitted claims to their insurers and likely received declinations or coverage concessions of sublimited affirmative grants of coverage that policyholders disagreed with. Now, that's Greek, but that means even if the company agreed that there was coverage, they likely um, limited the coverage because of some provision in the insurance policy, which, as we all know, because we've discussed this, is a contract. Okay, so to date, however, there have been 1,400 plus suits that have been brought, but many more policyholders may still be considering their options, particularly in sight of the recent Oklahoma State Court decision. Cherokee Nations at Al versus Lexington Insurance Company at Al finding summary judgment for the COVID-19 business interruption coverage. Now, remember when we first started talking about this, all the judges were like, nah, we're just reading the policy. And it says, you know, no virus, no viruses, no fungi. And COVID-19 is a virus, so no coverage. But more and more uh, judges are taking the long view. And I, I share with you what happened over in the UK. So more and more judges are finding that, uh, notwithstanding the fact that uh, the the virus caused the government to decide that the business needed to be shut down, maybe that is not uh, a, a property damage that was caused by the virus. The other thing was it had to be property damage. And as you know, it's not the the fungus that's causing the business to be shut down. It's the government's belief that the fungus might cause harm to the populace and they're shutting the business down because of the virus. So again, more and more judges are finding, hmm, that uh, that, that might be a, an issue and, and the insured might be deserving of having coverage, okay? But this is about making sure that you don't let the statute of limits go by. Now, there are statute of limitations that are cited in the policy, 
And each state has their own statute of limitations as to when lawsuits can be found. So you need to make sure that you're working with someone that can help you navigate what's going on. But again, because we're having the anniversary of COVID-19 this week, you probably need to make sure that this is on your agenda first thing Monday morning, March 15th, to look at your policy. Look at your policy over the weekend, but reach out to someone to help you interpret your policy. And at the very, very least, if you thought about filing a claim, go ahead on and file it. Talk to your broker or your agent, file the claim. Your policy will tell you how to file the claim electronically or by mail. And you need to do that because you can always pull back a claim. But if you let the statute of limitation pass, that's the end of it. And speaking of the end of it, I'm going to leave it there for now. But as always here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including the laws that help us maintain our business is while we try to deal with the impact of COVID-19. So in the meantime, until I see you next time, mask up, keep your social distance, wash your hands. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. 